Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today's episode is all about the challenging task of making decisions about parents' belongings after they've passed. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor. And I'm so glad to be here with you again, because this is an important topic. I know it affects so many listeners in one way or another, and you might have to deal with this yourself. The topic today is how you make decisions about sorting through your parents' belongings after they've passed. And as you can imagine, this topic can be difficult. It is a hard one, and it brings up just about every emotion in the book. Sadness, of course, but also sometimes glimmers of happiness, too, and feelings related to all kinds of memories, not to mention how physically demanding it can be as well as placing a huge responsibility, a huge demand on your time, focus, and attention. I love the way my guest handled her own personal experience in this position with such love and respect, and I know you're going to love hearing her story. Okay, but just quick, before I go into this topic and you meet my guest, I want to make sure you know about the new way to get even more from the Women in the Middle podcast. You're invited to join the new podcast club. Let me tell you what it's all about. And I don't know if you heard my little bird, Dee Dee, but she just chimed in. So I I never know uh, when I'm recording it, if the mic can actually pick it up. But anyway, she's on a perch right next to me. So we'll see how this goes. I love bringing this podcast to you every week now for over six years. I've been thinking about how it can really bring us together in an intimate kind of crazy way, like what's going on right now. But a podcast can really help you feel connected. As you may know, I like to think of podcasts as a party in your purse. It's like a cozy blanket for your soul at a time in your life when you can really use it. Enter the Women in the Middle Podcast Club. The Podcast Club is basically a book club experience for the podcast. We're going to be going deeper into the podcast conversation started in the recent episodes. You're going to get a Zoom call with me once a month, an easy-to-use podcast go-deeper guide, with thought-provoking questions to help you apply what you're learning in the podcast to your own life and also some fun surprises along the way. You'll also be able to chat with me directly and share your thoughts with me and other like-minded women. So don't waste another minute. It's shockingly affordable. So check it out. Sign up at www.susierosenstein.com and click on the Podcast Club button or go directly to susierosenstein.com forward slash podcast hyphen club. I can't wait to get this party started. Okay, now if the podcast club announcement wasn't juicy enough, I have something else to share with you. There's something fun happening in February 2024. Keeping with the connection theme, if you love the podcast and hearing me in your ear every week, you're going to love joining me and other like-minded women on the Women in the Middle Connection Cruise. Yes, an intimate small group with tons of opportunity to hang out with me and other amazing women in the middle. It's a four-night cruise, and we leave from Florida in February 2024. We're going to be cruising to the Bahamas and Key West. So if this sounds interesting to you, send me an email right away to get on the email list and make sure you get a spot at the best price and also all the details. 
So email me at info at com. That's info at com, and put cruise in the subject head. I can't wait to hear from you and more importantly, hang out with you on the first Women in the Middle Connection cruise. Okay, my guest today is Karen Hecker. Karen is a married mother of three grown sons, mother-in-law to one, and booby to one little girl. She married shortly after graduating university in 1988. She and her husband were blessed with their first child in 1990, at which point they made the decision to keep one parent home, which was Karen herself. Until several years ago, Karen had always had part-time jobs in retail environments with the occasional office job thrown in there for fun. For the last 10 years, she's been actively involved in community theater productions and loves being involved in that world. In fact, we are friends as well, and I can always see when she's getting busy with a new show because she starts requesting all kinds of weird props on Facebook. (laughs) Now, Karen's father passed in 2013, and then her mother passed recently in 2022. She's the one who embraced the job of sorting and making decisions about how to handle her parents' belongings a daunting and emotional task at that. As I mentioned earlier, I know how relevant this topic can be to you, and I know that you're going to get a lot out of hearing Karen's story and the way she and her family made thoughtful, respectful, and meaningful decisions together. So please enjoy this interview. Hi, Karen. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. I'm happy you invited me. I, you know, I am so happy you're here. It's been a while that I've been thinking about doing an episode like this. Um, you know, and after somebody's parent dies, I don't want to be like a, like a vulture and going, Ooh, that would make a good podcast topic. But, <laughs> but you know, this didn't happen so recently and we have been talking about it because I'm the proud owner of something that was your mother's, those bowls that I love so much. Uh, so I was just really um, happy that you were open to talking about it because it's something that comes up so often in my communities of um, usually daughters being charged with the task of making a lot of decisions and going through their parents' home after they pass. So thank you so much. And also, uh, we know each other. We've known each other for a while now. We kind of live in the same area of Toronto. And we have mutual friends. So I'm just really thrilled that you're here. So thank you so much. Well, you know, it, it it's a good thing to talk about and, and it's talk therapy. So every time I talk about the story of it, I feel better about the way I'm handling things. And um, it, it takes me one step further down the road. So it's good for me too. Uh, that's awesome. And just watching how you're handling a little piece of it on Facebook. And we'll talk about um, what how you're making decisions about some of these belongings. But um, let's just get started. Just tell us a little bit about uh, your parents and your family home and all of that. Let's go back a few years, <laughs> as far back as you want to go. And just let's just start that way. Um, my parents were both born in Toronto um, in the 30s. So depression era. My father grew up dirt poor and without a father. His father died when he was quite young. And um, and my mother grew up like a little one step better than that, but not much. And I I think that, well, things had a different meaning to them than they do to us now. But they they met when they were in their early 20s, dated for three months, and then let's get married. That's how they did it. And they had a happy, wonderful marriage for the 55 years that they were 
together, that they were alive. Um, my dad, growing up poor, he um, he worked, he went to high school and he worked at night and it was, it was tough. So going to university and bettering himself was really, really important. He did that. And as things, he was a smart guy and as things developed, he started to do well for himself. And I will never forget that he he would stand in the beautiful home that he had managed to put together for himself and his his bride. He always called him called my mom her his bride, um, and he would stand there and look around and reflect and say, you know, my father was born in a house with a dirt floor, and then he would look around and at what he had achieved and how proud he was of of that. And, um, and it was really, really important to him. They bought, they, they started out with a little bungalow in Don Mills and then they moved into what I call the big house. So mm-hmm. we moved on my fourth birthday, 1969, August 25th. Um, we moved into this big house and again, it was that moment of, wow, look at what we have done. And Oh my God, how are we going to afford to keep this thing? Now, do you remember that? Do you have a memory from then? Yeah, absolutely. I remember I remember the truck and I remember my tricycle being wheeled off the truck. That's what I remember. I love that. Yeah. And did, and so when did you realize it was a big house? Um when I started going to other friends' houses, I realized, wow, you know, it's uh okay. But I didn't think of it, I didn't think like we're rich. There wasn't the it wasn't about that. It was just my house is bigger than their house. So people want to come to my house. We have a swimming pool. People want to come to our house. Okay. And it wasn't a big deal. Um, once I got to high school, I was living in a demographic where everybody was living in the big house or the bigger or the biggest. House. Right. <laughs> so I was no longer like, uh, yeah, uh, whatever. That was fine. So we were in that house until from 1969 until 2018 when my mom finally decided she couldn't manage living in this big house by herself anymore the the day two or three days after my dad died in 2013 we my brothers and I we came into the house with my mom and she flipped around quickly and she said I'm not moving you know Mm. and we all looked at her and said Okay, like nobody asked you to move. Nobody told you to move. It's your house. You stay. It's your house. It's your home. You don't have to move anywhere. And so she didn't until mobility started to become difficult and whatever. And that's when she put up the white flag and said, okay, I I, I need to move. So were there a lot of stairs? There was there was a main floor, an upper floor, and a basement. She mm. rarely went to the basement because why? And her bedroom was upstairs, but it became, you know, it just became challenging to go up and down. And I, and now at my age, I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh I'm not moving and you can't make me. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's so, well, you know how uh, I have a Apple watch. And I have tripped um, twice now, trying to go too fast, walk too fast, you know, yeah. but down um, I'm in a I'm in a Brady Bunch house, like a, a back split. 
And so there are these half floors everywhere. And I tripped going down the stair um, twice, not in the same amount of time, but maybe a year apart. And my watch sent an SOS to me. Are you okay? <laughs> Fortunately, I caught myself on the wall. You know, I didn't, I didn't do a face plant or anything. Uh, but falls are a big deal for seniors. And as we get older, we're rushing around doing so many things and it's, it's not so difficult to trip. So, um, it's not just getting up and down the stairs, but it's also navigating, navigating yeah. the stairs. I was very surprised. Thank goodness my watch is so, so thoughtful. <laughs> it's checking on me. <laughs> Now, I'm just wondering, did your mom have the same sense of pride that your dad had about um, about your home? I think it was a little bit different because my dad's family, they never climbed out of the hole. My mm-hmm. dad did, but his and his brothers like they did. But his his mom on her own, she never she never really landed after after her husband, my grandfather died. My mom's family, um, they they made it. So by the time she got married, she was already living in a nice home with nice things. And you know, she had a car and all of those things. And my dad didn't. So it was a much bigger leap for my dad and a much bigger source of pride. For my mom, it was a little bit more lateral and almost expected mm. that her life would go that way. Mm. My dad was a surprise. Mm, that's so interesting. Okay, so now in your notes you mentioned there's um there was a lot of storage space and they were collectors. So tell me about some of the things they loved to collect. My parents started to collect art glass um probably in the let's say late 70s. They bought the and and that was, you know, that's a luxury item. So that's one of those moments where they go, "We have spare money and we can buy something we like just because we like it and it makes us feel good and we can. And so they did and they started to collect and they didn't have, they they weren't buying small things. They were buying big things. Like what? Like big art glass, like four foot tall blown glass sculptures, like a huge, well, come to my house and you'll see. <laughs> they found a new home. <laughs> a lot of it has has found a new home, some permanent, some temporary. Um yeah, so they had they had a lot of big pieces of art and that was their that was their pride. They you know, they there was nothing they loved more than waiting for a crate to arrive from wherever they had been traveling with this brand new piece and then my kids would come over and we would all you know, whatever, we would come over and, and unpack this thing. My dad would call and say, you have to come and see, we got, you know, this thing arrived. Um, and they got derived a lot of pleasure from their little art gallery in their home. They had stuff, they had a lot, they had a lot of art glass. They had well, a lot. I guess they didn't have a 130 pound Newfoundland walking around wanting to knock things not. over by accident. They did not. <laughs> You know, as you're, eagle who couldn't reach those. <laughs> as you're telling this story, I just had a little flashback of the first time I saw a crate in my driveway of my child's home. My my child, no, my childhood home is what I'm trying to say. Um, and it's so different than what you're talking about. The crate housed a stuffed fish. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know what you call those, like a taxidermy fish that my father had caught. It was a massive bluefin tuna, uh, over, over five, six hundred pounds. It must have been eight feet long. Like in my mind's eye, I don't know exactly how long it was, but it was huge fish. And I grew up with that giant mounted bluefin tuna over the couch in the family room. (laughs) Jeez. And then when I was 12, actually one of the last trips I, uh, I took with my dad, like this was a very big memory. We were on a deep sea fishing trip together, me as a little kid, 12 year old, and, and we both caught a barracuda. And as a surprise, it arrived in a crate unbeknownst to me. And what do you know? It's in the office in this house. I schlepped it around to every residence I've ever had, including university residents. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I always had a, st- a blue, a, a, a barracuda on my wall. Anyway, uh, we digress, but it was just so funny. You're talking about beautiful art pieces, and in my mind, it's a fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it is that you attach meaning to, doesn't that's matter exactly it. it. The other part of your story that's just so charming is the way your dad called you all to help with the big reveal. Like he was so excited, and also that it was something that both your parents liked to do together. And I'm sure I don't know how it is in your marriage, but in with my husband. And me, like, we also enjoy buying art for our anniversaries, but to find something we both like is a little challenging. There's certainly way more stuff that we don't agree on, but to find something that we both really like enough to spend money on it and put it on the wall, it's, uh, it's something and it's so exciting. It's definitely exciting when that happens. I feel like more of the, um, purchases more, more of the artwork was chosen by my father. That's what I think. I, because I know exactly which pieces were my mother's favorites, but I don't know which were my father's favorites because they were all his favorites. Oh, but you know, my mom could walk around her, her apartment when she was in the apartment after 2018 and say, this was always my favorite one. And, but she didn't say that about everything. And my dad just loved all of it. He loved the adventure of shopping for it and looking, looking at things and going to galleries and, 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 um, and, and talking to the gallery owners. He loved the whole experience and which I find, I find that charming and interesting because if I took my husband shopping for art, he'd be sitting on the bench outside waiting for me to make a choice. It's like not interested. So I just, I, I loved seeing his eyes light up when he looked at at all of this artwork that he had purchased. And it was really fun. It was really a nice thing. That's a beautiful story. Okay. So um, when did they pass and how was that phase? I mean, I know it was difficult. Um, What was that like? So my dad had melanoma and he, he was sick for quite a while, but he, he kind of, he lucked out in the type of melanoma that he had because he got into a trial. One of his elder brother was a doctor with um, quite, quite a lot of um, colleagues and fairly well-known fellow. And he managed to get my dad into a trial that kept him alive for an extra three and a half years. At the end of his life, he had a stroke and he, he actually, he had a stroke. He, I remember the day that he was lying in the hospital bed and he touched every part of his body. He was, he was finally cognitively aware enough of what had happened. And he, he kind of squeezed his arms and squeezed his legs 
And he realized he only had so much left. And that was the day he gave up and he refused to eat or drink after that. And that was it. That was it. And he was done. And a few days later, he was gone. Um, So how was that? It sucked. (laughs) It was awful. <laughs> so, I mean, death is, it's it's very difficult. It's inevitable. Nobody's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. You know it's coming, but man, that's a sucker punch. And, and to watch him give up, like that's a very visual story you just shared. It is, it, in a way, that made it easier because it was his choice. It wasn't a slow decline. It was like a very definitive. I will not continue this way. He had always told me that he had money in the shoebox, in the closet, in the cupboard, you know, behind the this and the that. And if he ever got to this stage where he was completely dysfunctional or he, you know, he just, his mind wasn't working anymore. I was to take that money, put him on a plane with me in his wheelchair, take him to La Jolla, California, and stand on a cliff at sunset and say, looked at it, the pretty sunset as I shove him off the cliff. That was his, like, don't keep me alive. (laughs) That was, it was always a big joke. But when we got to that moment, that was like, he jumped off the cliff. It was like, I'm not going to stick around for this. Wow. So in that way, it made it easier for us, Mm. but it still sucks. Yeah, of course. My mom was alone and she was, my mom was, um, she was very, she was a very stoic person. So she just, she was really tough. She just toughed it all out and did all of that with a smile on her face, whether it was legit or not is debatable, but she did everything with a smile on her face. And, um, and she just carried on. I mean, my dad died in 2013. Um, And then last year, so 2022, um, we, I kind of knew my mom was ill. I knew something was going on and, and she just kept putting it off, not because she was afraid of it, but just because she was busy with other things. And so she just didn't. And, 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 and by the time she got home from Florida after the winter and got tested and whatnot, she had stage four lung cancer and she was gone in a month. Wow. So again, yeah, that really sucks because it was really, really fast. We had no time to adjust to it. On the flip side of that, it was really great because had she been diagnosed, you don't develop stage four lung cancer overnight. Had she been diagnosed a year earlier, she wouldn't have gone to Florida for the winter. She wouldn't have gone to my niece's wedding six weeks prior to her death out of town. She wouldn't have we wouldn't have gone for American Thanksgiving to my brother. We wouldn't, she wouldn't have gone for Jewish holidays to my other brother. All of these things I would have said to her, likely mom, no, you can't. It's too hard. It's too rough. Or she would have been in treatment or therapy or feeling like garbage. And so what would she have gained? She was, she would have died anyway. Mm. So that was really the better way. Nobody knew. She didn't even have time to come to terms with it herself. And by the time she started telling people, she was gone a week later. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So So, she was in the condo at that point. She was, yeah, she was in her condo. She moved in 2018. So about five years after my dad passed. And um, 
it was a beautiful condo. It was a big, big place. When she was, when it came time to purging and getting ready for the move from the, from the big house, um, I kept saying, yeah, I'll come over and help you, mom. Yeah, no problem. And I came one day and I opened a cupboard in the laundry room and it was just packed full of, she wasn't a hoarder by any means. It's just that she had so much storage that she didn't need to throw things out. She didn't need to move things along because nothing was visible. Everything was in a cupboard, but there was stuff from 1969 at the back of the cupboard. And so I'm pulling things out, chemicals and plant food and the dishes that we got from the, the, from the uh, gas station and all this stuff and looking at it. And I, and I did not throw anything out without checking with her. I wouldn't do that because it's her stuff. It's not my stuff. And she was very unhappy with me for suggesting that these things were not coming with her. Mm. So then I was no longer invited to participate in that process. Wow. So that was that. And she, I, I was getting very nervous that she wouldn't have time before the movers came to get all this done. But somehow, somehow she did. She was also unhappy with me when I, I told her that some of the furniture pieces that were not going to fit had no financial, they had no money value Mm. that we couldn't, we couldn't sell them for a thousand dollars, even though they had purchased them for a thousand dollars. Right. They, they don't have that. They don't carry the value. I kept saying to her mom, the value is in the enjoyment you got from having it in your home. The value is in having played cards at this table. That's where the value is. It's not in the money that you laid out for it. And mm. she wasn't hearing that from me. Mm. So it wasn't until we had a downsizing lady come in that said, uh, like, I can barely give these things away. You know, yeah, maybe yeah. I can sell it at a garage sale for $20. And that was a pretty hard pill for her to swallow. Yeah, I can see that. And those uh, dishes from the gas station, probably nobody would buy. Uh, well, they're may, probably not, except that they are vintage now. <laughs> Well, you're cracking me up because I have one dish in my house from a gas station. And I remember Uh when I got it, we were doing a cross-country drive from Texas, where we lived on an Air Force base when I was five, to central Pennsylvania, where my dad got his first job as in in an obstetrics um, clinic. Uh, and, And I remember getting an album from a gas station, getting... The Jungle Book, uh, plastic dish from a gas station. <laughs> so you're, it's, it's a funny little memory. Um, but I can see how so much was going on by you going through a cupboard and by you helping, like you're being a good daughter, right? Helping her prepare for the next move. But when it's your stuff, no matter how old it is, it's loaded with memories and some of it, it's very hard. I can, I can see that. And. The funny thing is that my mom was, between the two of us, she was not a sentimental person at all. So holding on, that's why I could not understand why she had to hold on to these things. And it may have just been, it may have just felt like somebody was invading her space, that I was looking at her things and I shouldn't be touching her things. Um, Even though she didn't really care about these things. Because she would give that, she gave away my things to garage sales, no problem. 
I bought some of my own things from her charity garage sale. (laughs) I bought my own things back. What did she get rid of that you wanted back? Oh, she, she, (laughs) she gave away really funny. Actually, she gave away the set of luggage that I got for my wedding. She gave away to a garage sale and all to one garage sale. She gave away my baby spoon and my baby like fork and knife that I remember using and I used with my children. Okay. My jaw dropped on that one. (laughs) Yeah. She gave like, those are things that you kind of feel like, Oh, my babies use. No, not my mom. It was not like that. So she said, you know, my synagogue's having this garage sale. You should go check it out. It's a great garage. So I went and I started to see things that looked really familiar and they were unique things that I know, like the luggage had my name on it. It still had my luggage tag on it. So, <laughs> so I knew that my things were here. So I started to hunt around. It cost me about 40 bucks <laughs> to buy my things back. And I ran straight back to her house. I said, mom, you should say it was a great garage sale. It was so good. Look at all the things I got. And I laid out all of these things and I sort of watched the light bulb turn on in her head as she realized that she had these were all things she had donated to this garage sale but she never admitted it she never said it she never said we never had a laugh about it I did she well I'm having a laugh about it (laughs) it was funny it was a funny thing um my gosh well you know it was a lot of work to to get that to get that house done and even once once she had everything laid out with the um the downsizing lady that came she had she had also forgotten some of the things that i said i wanted ah. i wanted to have and the way the way that process works is that the, this woman came in and she said okay i'll get rid of this i'll get rid of all these things for you and that, there's a fee for that and then she'll hold an estate sale and said well but what about the table that I want. What about the, this, what about the, well, you can't take anything. Um, But what we, what I did was there there was no way that I was going to leave those things behind that. I can't have the cute little table. I always loved since I was a kid. So I brought a friend over and my friend was talking to the downsizing lady in the kitchen. And I was sneaking things down the stairs and out the front door to my car down the street. So I, I did end up taking a few things back, sneaking a few things out. And then a few things I had to go to my own estate sale and buy back because that's, again, I did it again. Wow. So one thing you haven't mentioned, I know you have brothers. What was their role in all of this? Because it sounds like, as it typically ends up being, the daughter's responsibility. I have two elder brothers who are Americans, they don't live here, which on the one hand makes it easier and on the other hand makes it more complicated. I would have, when my mother, moving from the house was not an issue because I wasn't invited to do anything anyway. When it came to actually moving and unpacking, I told she wasn't ready to to be in the apartment yet because it wasn't unpacked. She said, fine, give me two days. I went and I took a sleeping bag and I slept there and I unpacked day and night for two days. And I put everything away so that her apartment would be comfortable for her to come and move into. And I did that over, I think over a weekend, I guess. 
Um, and my brothers had, I don't even know that they know I did that because, because why would they know? They're not here and they do things differently. My brother, one brother is, um, one brother is a, a very type A plus personality and he would have hired people to come and, and he would have hired people to come and unpack it. And that doesn't work. You can't have people unpack your home, your home, you unpack a house, but it doesn't become a home until your things are in the right place. And, the, and it's the way you want it. Then it's a home. So when it came to my mother passing, it was kind of the same thing. Like I had a vision for how this end game was going to go, how we were going to make this work. And my brothers did not share that vision. And I think they weren't unhappy to know that we were on different pages. It, it relieved them of some guilt mm-hmm. not being here because I had a way that I was going to do it. And you weren't going to distract me from doing that because I was going to do it in a way that would honor my parents. And they had much less of an attachment to anything than I did because they've been away for 40, 50 years, mm. both of them. Mm-hmm. So their kids didn't grow up here. They didn't grow up here. You know, they, they left when they were 18 and didn't really come yeah. back. Yeah. Um, except for visits. And I, I was here. Yeah, definitely. So I had a process. They were they were much more inclined to just have a charity come and take everything away. Mm. And I, I just always felt like it needed to be done the way my mother would have liked to have been. all those things that we say someday I'm going to, I'm going to donate this and I'm going to give this and I'm saving this ball of yarn for that person. And, uh, and I'm going to do it. I swear I'm going to do it. Well, now I had all of those things. I had the ball of yarn and I had the things that were meant to be donated and the things that could be reused and the things, all these things. And I'm standing in the, the apartment. <sighs> like, where do you begin? Where, how do you begin? That's my next question. It sounds daunting. Uh, so now your brothers understand their role and you're happy with it. So there's, there's something going on there. How did you, how did you make decisions about what you needed to discuss with them? Like the kinds of things you, you, you didn't feel you could make a, a decision on your own. There were very few things like that oh, because so they didn't care much about it. They didn't care um, much about the stuff. The stuff they cared about was the art. Ah, uh, that was because the art, you know, the art was always like a focal point of the house. And it was such a, a source of pride and it was something that they talked about. So that was, you know, that was a, a moment where we had to sit down and go, okay, here's the inventory. Let's, but we did that a little bit later in the process. Um, first I needed to do a lot of cleaning up. We, we, we wanted to sell the apartment as quickly as we could. Um, and that meant that there was a lot of work to do to get it ready to even for anybody to see it. And I, I'm not necessarily, not necessarily, I'm not at all a neat and tidy person. So once I start doing something like this, it's just everything out of every closet all at once and in a heap. And, and, and I, yeah. So it took, it took a while to get it into a condition that 
we could um, even have people in. I, how did I start? The first thing I did was I got rid of everything that was obviously trash, everything that could not be reused. I cleaned out all of her personal drawers. I cleared out the bathroom. There were a few things I kept from the bathroom because they're antiques, man. Some of the little bottles of, I had a tiny little bottle of iodine that I remember. I remember my mother using that on me when I scraped my, my ankle once <laughs> when I was like four. And it, I swear it's the same little tiny bottle. So I kept that. I don't know why, but right. it just, that was one of the things I had to keep. Go figure. Was there anything else unusual like that that you found and it brought back a lot of memories? <laughs> um, that brought back memories. My mom had, yeah, my mother liked to buy things in multiples of 30, I think. She, <laughs> she loved going to the flea market because she would buy things. She would find something and say, this would make a great gift. So if I was with her, I would tell her it won't make a great gift. And then it would pare down from buying it 20 of them to five of them because it'll make a great gift for five people instead of 20 people. So there were a lot of those kinds of things that Um, brought back just the memory of having that argument, that discourse about how many do you not need to buy? Actually, let's mm. get rid. Um, There were, yeah, they're like, there were a lot of just little things that I found around the house that, that were funny. They were just Mm. funny things. Um, So in your mind, you've mentioned that they could be reused, recycled, donated, was there anything that you really uh, felt strongly about selling? No, because I, we had, I'm, wait, I'm going to take that back. There was one thing when we went through all of the art, I took a photograph of every single piece. I remember sitting, I was sitting at my mom's dining room table and I had my brother on Zoom. I took a photograph of every art piece and we made a chart and and then we sent it out to all of our kids and we said, just tell us like now we're down to, to the moment where we have to sort of decide. Um, and there was one huge piece that had been, that had been very expensive and nobody wanted it. Not because we didn't like it, but because it was huge, it was fragile. And we just, how much can we keep? We can't, we can't have everything. And it was too much, too big. So that one piece we sent to auction. That was the only thing. Most of the glass art ha- doesn't have a resale value that honors the piece and the amount of, and what they spent on it. Um, so I might be able to sell something that we paid $10,000 for. Maybe I would get three or $400. Well, I'm not going to do that. Right. So I'd rather give it away as a wedding present. I'd rather, you know, find somebody who doesn't have art and give them this piece and then they can have something wonderful. Um, there wasn't, there really wasn't anything that we felt like we must sell this. Hmm, we sold, we sold things. We sold the car. What am I going to do with it? Right. Right. Interesting. Um, and I know in your notes, you said you were less attached than you thought you would be. What was that like? I expected to go through the apartment and have a breakdown every time I opened a drawer and I just didn't, I looked at things and kind of like, it's just stuff. It just, when my mother is not there and attached to it, 
the, the fairy dust falls off of it and it's now it's stuff. I, you know, I, I'm involved in community theater and I felt the same way. I, I the same feeling once a production is over and the lights go up and, you know, we pull the curtains away. Now it's just a, a stage full of stuff. It, the magic is gone. Hmm. So once the magic is gone, it doesn't matter. I, I'm not, it doesn't bother me at all to give things away. There are very few things that I've felt I need to, I, I, I need this. It's, you know, this, this is going to be my emotional support animal. No, I didn't right. want those things. So and I surprised myself because I cry about everything. I'm very emotional. I'm attached to a lot of my own things, but it, it just, it was fine. I didn't have a problem with it. So, uh, one way that I kind of knew where you were at with going through stuff is I would watch on Facebook and every once in a while you would post a collection and you would ask uh, for feedback if anybody was interested in anything. And that's how I am the proud owner of two of your mother's uh, ceramic bowls that looked like mindful doodling to me. They're black and white and, and I love the design on them and I they go perfectly in my kitchen. And I also saw you post something about frogs recently. So how do you make decisions about what you want to take the effort, like make the effort to put it on Facebook and deal with people asking questions and pickups and coordinating? Like, how's that different? Why didn't you just send those off? There were certain things that had more meaning to my mom and my dad than other things. Their dishes uh, it didn't matter one way or another. The kitchen implements, who cares? A lamp, who cares? It's stuff that people can use. And I had no problem donating that. Not a problem. My mom collected frogs, not by any choice of her own. It just sort of happened that she was wearing a frog pin that she liked. And somebody saw that and thought, well, she must collect frogs. So the next time that person came over, brought her a frog. Now she had two. And and it snowballed out of control until she had hundreds of little froggy things over a 40, 50 year period of time. And th- that had meaning to her. And everybody related to my mom. Through, like If you had to say that she had one thing, it would be frogs. So that's really representational mm. of her. And I wanted... I, I didn't want to just put those in a pile for somebody mm-hmm. who wouldn't know what it was or where it came from. So I posted uh, pictures of all of the frogs that I had left, which were many, and I invited people to take them. And it feels like when I do that, it, it's a little bit self-serving because I know that now these pieces have found a home and somebody has chosen to have it. Somebody has has written me a note and said, I want it. Not just, it, it's not just going in a garbage dump. Somebody actually is choosing to keep it. And it, if, if you remember that scene in, in Forrest Gump, when he's sitting on the bench and this little feather comes flying by and he sort of watches it. And that's the, the opening and the ending of the film. And that's how I feel about these things is that, that, um, Things come into our lives and nothing is forever. Nothing is permanent. So, you know, it floats by. We enjoy it while it's here. 
And then it's such a blessing to watch it float by and wonder where is it going to land mm. and who is it going to affect and how is it going to affect that person? And, and that's it. It's like, it's not mine. It's not oh, I love that. I love that. You know, I'm thinking fondly. I have a, another girlfriend who lives in the States now, but her, she and her mother grew up in Toronto. And when her mother passed and I happened to have known her, her parents, um, she came up and was doing what you did. And she was in the condo and sorting through things. And she asked me to come over and collect a few things. So the kids got some, some, um, collectible corningware, uh, to take to their apartments in university. And, and I took a plant, including a little pot, which I have proudly in my home and a rattan chair and ottoman. And mm-hmm. I took it to the cottage and our cottage is very low key with, with shag carpet from the seventies. And I now have a chair that's mine. And I love, I think about my friend and her mother all the time when I sit in the chair. And it does have another home. It has a home that may be unexpected that it's, you know, <laughs> in this small town, Ontario. But I have a, a place to sit that's mine. It, it's not my husband's family stuff from 50 years ago. Everybody else has a place and has history and things. And this is something that I brought in and I, and I really treasure that. So I really uh, get what you're saying. Yeah. Like with the frogs, I feel like every frog I give away keeps her spirit and her memory alive in another little corner of the world. And that me, and I, like I've mailed these mailed frogs all over the place. And, and to me, that just feels really good about that with some of the other things, you know, there were other things that I know I know they spent money on, I know they had meaning. I can think of our dining room and, you know, holiday dinners and whatnot, where we had fancy dishes and jugs and pitchers and whatnot and, and how beautiful that was, but I don't need a fancy crystal jug. I I just, I just don't need it. I don't want it. My kids don't want it. My brothers, every time I message them and to say, I found this just checking before I give it away. I would get a message back right away. I don't want it. I don't want it. Right. So so it was mine to deal with. And I posted a lot of things in Facebook marketplace. What's been happening is like the silver tea set they got for their wedding. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things that were treasures to them, but they're not treasures anymore. It's so true. People don't want it anymore. It's such a, we grew up thinking it was special and treasures because we had, those conversations with the grandparents, we heard the stories, we recognized value. Yeah, but it is very different. Well, that's but really good when advice. You say and- people don't want it. People here don't want it. Yes. But there are a lot of immigrants yes. who have oh. left all of their things and run away from all sorts of horrors. And they've left their beautiful homes and their beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And for them to find my crystal jug that, you know, they left back in wherever to find that for $5 posted on Facebook that they can have. So I actually had two crystal jugs sitting on my dining room table. Somebody's coming shortly to pick up. But the the thing is, I, I post these things for a nominal amount of money so that they will attract people. And then when they get here, for the most part, I just give it to them. Because I don't 
it honors my parents to give it and to allow somebody else to now want it and have it and have a good feeling that somebody gave them this. And it's like, it's like the last truffula seed. I feel like I'm handing over this, this truffula seed into their care and they're going to use it and love it. And everybody says they're confused by what do you mean you don't want the $10? And I said, what I want you to do is take it home and, and I'm giving it to you, but I want you to go do something good for someone. That's, that's the legacy for my parents is that they were philanthropic. They were good people. They were wise people. And if I can invite you to continue doing good things for other people, then that's the, that's where the, the joy is in me giving it away. The $10, I could donate it myself. But if I can inspire somebody else to do some good, Oh my God, that's way better. Oh my, that is such a legacy. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for really adding a a couple other layers of perspective onto the whole thing. Um, Yeah, you've done an amazing job honoring your parents' memory and thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thanks for having me, Susie. Well, there you go. I told you that you would love this episode. For sure, it's a difficult topic and task, but It's something that so many women in the middle have to take on. I was so incredibly touched by the care that Karen took to handle the treasured items and memories that were part of this experience for her. She really did honor her parents' legacy of philanthropy by the way she made beautifully thoughtful decisions throughout the whole process, and with humor too, much needed during times like this. And what didn't get mentioned is that there is a garden frog with my name on it coming soon. (laughs) Okay. That is it for this episode. As you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on the agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. I can help you create the success you're looking for. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together so you feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free chapter. Email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click on the podcast tab and look for episode 318. And if you want to take the podcast conversation to a whole new level, join the Women in the Middle Podcast Club by heading over to SusieRosenstein.com and clicking the Podcast Club button. And if you're interested in cruising with me in February, the Connection Cruise is waiting for you. Email me at info at SusieRosenstein.com and put cruise in the subject line and you'll get an email with the next steps. There are limited spots, so make sure to take action now. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.